Brandon Brands. Hey, this is Dan Gingis. And if you want to wow your customers with a remarkable brand experience, you should be listening to Brands on Brands on Brands with my good friend, Brandon Berkmeyer. In a world where advertising is ignored, business is exposed, and the only constant is change, how do you build a brand that matters? Welcome to Brands on Brands on Brands, a home for those who think different and push their boundaries. This is where branding that matters lives. Now, here's your host, Brandon Berkmeyer. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. Excited today for our interview with Dan Gingis. Dan has spent 20 years focused on customers, their experience, marketing, social media, customer service, you name it. He's held leadership positions at three Fortune 300 companies, including Discover, Humana, McDonald's. He's also an international keynote speaker who believes that remarkable customer experiences can be your best marketing. And that's what he talks about. That's how I found him. He was speaking at Social Media Marketing World. So I was excited to bring him to the show to talk about some of that today. And I think we got a lot of great lessons that we talked about that any entrepreneur could learn from in terms of really building experiences that matter to customers. Dan is also the author of a book, Winning at Social Customer Care, How Top Brands Create Engaging Experiences on Social Media. And he hosts a podcast called Experience This. Dan regularly contributes to Forbes, and he's been named Top Customer Service Influencers of 2018 by Fit Small Business, 15 Influencers Changing the Customer Experience Game by WalkMe, 50 social media marketing influencers to follow. He was on that list by Top Rank Marketing, the top digital marketing influencers in 2018. He was called by Whatagraph. And he's an overall great guy. I think some of the great lessons I pulled from this were, one, thinking about how you can listen to your customers better to create better experiences. Also, number two, thinking about your customers as individuals and finding ways to communicate with them as people, human to human, things we talk about a lot on this show. And number three, he tells some great stories about how you can leverage social media and customer experience in general to turn potential complaints and customers that may be leaving to becoming your best advocates. Great stories. Happy to bring you some of that today. Now, before we get started, if this is your first time listening to the podcast or you haven't subscribed yet, I'd appreciate you hitting that ratings button and subscribing and leaving a rating and a, and a message for me so I understand the feedback, you know, what you like about the podcast. That really helps our show. Also, the worst part about podcasting is I don't know who you are. I'd love to get to know every listener one by one. And there are ways to do that. If you go to brandonbrands.com forward slash FB for Facebook, I'd love you to join my Facebook group so I can get to know you a little bit better and make sure that I'm bringing content every time that really helps you out. That's brandonbrands.com forward slash FB. Now let's dive into the episode. Check it out. Brandon Brands. Just want to welcome Dan Gingis to the show today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Really excited to have you and would love to jump right into it. I have a lot that I'm curious about, especially that you know I saw you at Social Media Marketing World and wanted to hear more about that but specifically wanted to get into some questions first. 
the first thing I wanted to know is, you know, after coming across you, and you know, I also found out that you, you know, you've written for Forbes, you have a podcast, you know, you're putting a lot of content out there. We'd love to hear a little bit more about what you tend to focus on with your content specifically, and then talk a little bit about your business. Sure thing. Well, I'm actually a 20-year marketer. And so the, I, I got my start in direct mail and made my way up through all the digital channels, social media and email and search, etc. When I started in social media, the thing that stuck out to me was that it was the first and only marketing channel where people could talk back. And I thought that was fascinating. So I immediately started focusing on the engagement and actually customer service side of social while everybody else was excited about it being a new marketing channel. And uh, that ended up uh, allowing me to produce a book a couple of years ago on social customer service. And since then, I have evolved into really talking about customer experience and how a remarkable customer experience can be your best marketing. So I bring it back to my background of marketing. And my belief is that you know word-of-mouth marketing, which is that elusive thing that all marketers are looking for, doesn't come from trying to create a viral video. It comes from your customers talking about your company and the great experience that they had with you. So that's what I write about. That's what we talk about on the podcast. And that's what I'm hoping to talk with you about today. Yeah. And that's really what caught my interest. Customer experience, I think, is, is huge. And I like the idea that you know, if we can find more and more ways to develop one-to-one connections, whether it's the way we communicate with our advertising or how we use social media to be involved with our customers, or even how we develop the experiences in store or online, that it was really what brought me to you because you did a full talk on customer experience. So I'd like to hear a little bit more about how you got into that part of it. Like you're there talking about this now as a professional. That's why I want you on. I want to hear that expert advice. We'll get into some of that later for the listeners. But how'd you get to where you are today? How did you get into marketing? Let's start with that. Well, actually, my first job out of college, I answered an ad in the newspaper. And I had a little bit of uh, an advantage because I was the one that was pasting up the newspaper the night before it got published. Because uh, my main extracurricular in college was writing and editing the newspaper. And I saw an ad that said, we will teach you everything you need to know about uh, direct marketing. I was a psychology and communications undergrad, which meant I had no idea what I wanted to do for my career. And so the idea of somebody teaching me everything I needed to know about direct marketing sounded really appealing. I ended up working for a company in Connecticut called the Danbury Mint, which is a high-end collectibles company. You've probably seen their ads for plates, dolls, figurines, etc. And I got to work on sports uh, collectibles, which was awesome for me uh, because I'm a big sports fan. They really did teach me everything I needed to know. I was immediately in charge of a bunch of product lines. I had to create marketing plans. And then more importantly, I had to go execute them essentially on my own. And at this time, it was not digital. It was direct mail, uh, newspaper magazine ads, uh, package inserts, that sort of a thing. But I really got the sense for what happens when you put a piece of marketing out and then the orders start coming in, right? And you kind of, I remember thinking, wow, this is amazing. It's like real time. We get, we get to, you know, I get the responses back. And these were people that were mailing coupons back. It, It was starting to come in a week after we dropped the mail. So fast forward through business school and a a couple of other roles, I end up at Discover Card within a number of marketing roles there. Did some loyalty marketing, some acquisition marketing. But the final role that I had there for three years was the head of digital customer experience. And this was a role that was within the marketing department. But my job was really to oversee, among other things, the website, which is 
had at the time over 50 million logins a month. Most people, this the website is or the mobile app is the main way that they engage with their credit card company. So a, a super important piece of the customer experience puzzle. And we also had a CMO that was hell-bent on winning the J.D. Power Award because J.D. Power had gone to American Express for 7 years in a row and Discover had come in second. And uh, this guy said, "Like we've got to do everything we can. And it turns out, long story short, that the website had a lot to do with the J.D. Power scoring because it's such a big part of the experience. And through my team's work and mine, uh, we ended up winning J.D. Power as well as sweeping the six website categories that were in there, which was the first time that had happened. And that got me totally hooked because I realized that with small changes, either eliminating pain points or adding improvements, you can make a huge difference in how people think about your brand. And to my mind, you can do that even better than marketing can do. Because today, marketing is still a lot of brands shouting at us as consumers and wanting us to hear their message. And what social media did to change the game... And and by the way, that role it discovers also when I first led a social media team... What social did to change the game is it gave the consumer a voice to say, no, I don't want to hear that. Here's what I want to hear instead. And I think that's been particularly fascinating. And and the brands that are figuring it out now know that you can't just have a megaphone in social media. You've got to make it a two-way conversation. Now, managing a big account like Discover and their digital experience, and specifically the website, I mean, for a lot of entrepreneurs out there, that one of the first things they have to figure out is what either that first website's going to be or what that refresh is going to look like. I wonder what you think, like a simple takeaway, like things that people are doing wrong these days with their websites that is, could change the customer's experience. Uh, little tweak, big tweak, things that you've seen historically. And I'll put that in context of, you know, now also being sold a lot of these times is, are things like lead pages, click funnels, you know, these ways of designing things to bring people to a point. So just maybe some simple tips, ideas that you might have around a good website experience. Well, the answer I'm going to give you is broad enough to be interpreted as really how to create any good experience. And that is to put yourself in your customer's shoes and deliver to them what they want, which may or may not be exactly what you want as a company, but at the end of the day is going to lead to more loyalty. So let me give you an example from Discover that is one of my favorite examples. We found from talking to customers and just from watching their behavior that the number one reason they were coming to the website was to view their last transactions, which makes sense. But at the time, we were making it really difficult for them to do that. You had to log on to a homepage, two or three clicks, and you finally got to your recent transactions. So one of the simple changes we made is we created a feed on the homepage where the last 10 transactions showed up. And then if you wanted to see more, you could click and get to the page. Well, what happened was incredible. All of a sudden, we saw millions of people logging on and logging off. Now, to most companies, that's a horrible thing, right? That's a, that's a high bounce rate. But we realized we were giving the customer exactly what they wanted. They don't want to spend their day on a credit card website. They want to come in, get their information, and leave. And our satisfaction scores skyrocketed after that. So people liked us more and liked doing business with us more and and rated us as easier to do business with simply because we gave them what it was that they were looking for. Now you contrast that to a website 
that, you know, as you're trying to leave, hits you with a pop-up. You know, are you sure you want to leave? Would you like to sign up for our newsletter before you do that? Which is annoying to pretty much every consumer on the internet, but which then begs the question of why companies do it. They do it because overall, they can be effective from a percentage rate. You know, if you can get a 5% response rate, that's better than most other marketing you're going to do. But at what cost, right? You're annoying 95% of the other people. So I would say that's one thing. And the other thing is, I always look for simple low-hanging fruit in the form of eliminating pain points. So every time you're asking your customer to click twice, figure out how to have them click once. If they're clicking three times, have them click twice. We found in a number of cases that very simple tweaks, even just changing the words on the call to action, made a big difference, not just in the customer satisfaction, but also in customers actually achieving what we want them to do. Right now, for a credit card company, it wasn't necessarily making a sale, but sometimes we wanted them to redeem their rewards or, or do or sign up for the rewards program or other types of things. And the simpler you make it, the better. These long scrolling pages with lots and lots of information are great if we are in research mode and we want to be sponges and learn as much information as possible. But a lot of times we just want to log on, find what we're looking for and get the heck out of Dodge. And I think as a company, I was really impressed that Discover was willing to accept that, right? That that there are some brands... People ask me this all the time. Well, I'm a B2B or I'm in a boring industry or whatever. Yeah, not everybody can be Starbucks or Coca-Cola. Not everybody is a brand that people want to hear from every day. In fact, very few brands are, are brands we want to hear from every day. So the rest of us have to figure out something else, which in my mind is making it as easy as possible to do business with you. I think there's a lot there that, and I want to unpackage some of that. So there's obviously finding pain points of the customers and, and figuring out how you can solve some of those right away. I think that's huge. The messaging itself, you know, finding ways to communicate clearly what you're trying to, to tell them, what they might need to know, making it easier for them. In other words, you know, the less clicks I thought was a, was a good point to take away there. If you can give them into a one instead of two. Massive, I think Tiff said, not everyone thinks about you know how to change the, that ease of use along the way. Is some of that applicable to their social channels as well? I, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, business owners are trying to figure out, you know, they'll get someone to design their website. They can probably fix that a lot of the way, but they're also trying to figure out this world of social, how to create content. They haven't really maybe even figured out how to set their profiles up in a way that's, that's useful. Don't have a plan for engaging with customers. What's your take on customer experience when it comes to building your brand in the, in the social environment? Yeah, that's a great question. And one of the things that I love about social media and, and customer experience is I do think they have a circular relationship. So what I mean by that is that today, there's no such thing as an offline experience anymore because we can take a picture of just about anything and share it onto social media and bring it online. So that's why customer experience is so important to people who manage social media. But then the reverse is also true, is that as consumers, what happens next with the brand, how they react to us, respond to us, and engage with us plays a big role in our overall perception of that company and our perception of the customer experience. There's tons and tons of examples of people that start off angry in social media. And because the brand is responsive and you know sympathetic or empathetic, they actually turn people who are who start as detractors into brand advocates because those people are impressed with with how they were taken care of. And so I think that with social my advice especially to entrepreneurs is number one you don't have to be everywhere. 
You only have to be where your customers are. And I can't tell you what channels those are. You, you've got to figure that out by, by knowing your customer. But you know, for example, when I worked at Humana and our main product line was Medicare, Snapchat wasn't a real big deal for us, right? Okay, but Facebook was because seniors are on Facebook. If you're if you are appealing to teens, it's exactly the opposite, right? So be where your customers are and don't feel like you have to be on every single channel. But if you are going to be on a channel, you've got to be there full on, right? You can't just push outbound marketing and not be willing to engage with the feedback that you're going to get back. And what happens is the more that we market on social media, especially when we put paid behind it and we get it in front of so many more eyeballs, the more feedback we're going to get the more comments we're going to get on that ad. And unfortunately for marketers, most of those comments are not about the marketing, right? We might be introducing our brand new sandwich of the week or whatever it is, but the comments are going to be about how I was in your restaurant last week and the bathrooms were dirty. It's not necessarily going to be on that sandwich. And so the more you put the advertising in front of people, the more feedback you should expect. And then you have to be prepared for that and have the, you know, your engagement team or your customer service team ready to be there. And I think that, that any size company can do a good job of engaging with customers. And, and I think it's something you should want to do. Because with any company, if we don't have customers, we don't have a company. right? So if, these are, if our customers want to talk to us, we should be bending over backwards to, to talk back with them. Yeah, I love that idea that, I mean, with social, it's don't, don't just take the ideas from your website and start applying them to social. Obviously, you need to have a profile that works, but you should be prepared to have a conversation. That's the whole point. Exactly. Social media is two words. Remember both of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, you do, you talk on this a lot. You talk on customer experience. You go out there and you talk to businesses. You talk at conferences. You, you know, you, you, you write, you're writing prolifically about it. If you had to boil down some core lessons, that, you know, they can apply to all channels, but if you had to, because we got real tactical there, but if you had to apply some just core lessons that businesses can be implementing right now uh, to change their business, where would you start? Uh, start with listening to your customers. That's the first. And that can be in any channel that you want, or preferably in all channels that they engage with you. But when you listen to your customers, you hear ideas for new products. You hear uh, reasons why your product or service is not delivering as much value as you think it is. You hear uh, bigger problems. Uh, there were more than one occasion in my career where I found out the website was down because of Twitter. You know, Twitter. I, found, I heard it on Twitter before I heard it anywhere else. So that's another good reason for listening. So I think listening is is one piece. We talked about this, but engaging is another. And and I always suggest to people to respond to everyone on social media. The one exception I think is the obvious troll that's either swearing at you or spamming or what have you. But you know, people who have complaints, legitimate complaints, are not trolls, right? They're people, they are customers who you have not delivered an adequate experience to, but they're giving you a chance. They're giving you a chance to to respond, to resolve the situation, and to sort of get them back in good standing with you. And I think that's just a gigantic opportunity. And I think the third thing is, is keep it simple. And that gets back to the simple clicks, but it's also using simple language. We just did a piece recently on our uh, podcast about a bank ad, and I won't name the bank, but that used uh, the, it was a seven word ad, and three of those words were acronyms. And most people would not be able to interpret what that ad meant. And in fact, I saw it because someone posted on LinkedIn that his daughter saw this ad and asked him, is this even English? Right. And so we often talk in terminology or jargon in our industry that makes a ton of sense to us, but that is just absolutely over the heads of our prospects and customers. 
Awesome. Thank you for that. I also, you know, customer experience, obviously has been something you've been focusing on. How did that become such a passion point for you? Like, I know over time, these, these themes start to arise, but when did you start to realize that this is something that you wanted to talk about, that you wanted to put more information out about there? How did that come to you? Well, as I said, I, I wrote a book on social media customer service because that was a passion for a while. And what I realized is that that's an important piece of the puzzle, but it's a really small niche. It's like a niche within a niche. And when I thought about customer experience, what I realized was, and this is something I truly believe, is that I think customer experience is the last true differentiator between brands. Right? If you close your eyes, can you tell the difference between an Uber and a Lyft? Probably not, right? They're basically the same service. Okay. But the experience that you have using the ease of use with the app, the friendliness of the drivers, the ability to tip or not, the, when they have, when you have a problem, how, how quickly they are to solve it. Those are the things that make a big difference. And when you have what is a commodity business, that's what customers are going to choose on. I think in most businesses, competing on price is a loser's game for everybody. Competing on product is getting harder and harder. I mean, Uber thought they had a, a new distinct product and then Lyft comes along. And so what's left is you have to compete on experience. But the beauty of experience is it's really hard to copy because no other company has the human beings that you have that are creating that experience. And since, since our desire as consumers is to have a human-to-human experience, that's the one thing that you can do differently and uniquely compared to your competitors. And that's what got me compassionate about it because I, I was like, this is where the money's at. This is how companies of the future are going to stand out. And it's going to separate the proverbial men from the boys because the companies that understand this are going to be the ones that survive. I think one of the easiest and simplest examples to look at is Toys R Us. And Toys R Us lived in the Amazon world for a decade or more and never figured out that the answer was they needed to create an experience in person that Amazon can't do, right? With Amazon, you can't open up a board game and play it in the store before you buy it. But you could have done that at Toys R Us if they had ever set that kind of thing up. I remember going to a Toys R Us about six months before they closed. It looked just like it did when I was a 10-year-old. So that's the difference. And I, I believe you, you know, all companies have to ask, do you want to be the next Amazon or do you want to be the next Toys R Us? And I, I think I know what the, what the desire is going to be, but that's how you do it is through experience. Yeah, and I think that there's always this, this extra step too that can be taken because I think the first step is you know figure out what what are the simple things you could be doing that you're not already to deliver on that experience. But I think there's also this next step that you, you know to go beyond the expectation and design what you think they may love, or how do you over deliver and create an actual connection with, with with customers? And that's hard to do, I think, for really large businesses at scale. But I think there's this idea that if you can even just start with one person at a time and say. You know, let's find one customer to make happy today and over deliver or teach your employees to over deliver. If someone ran out of change that day or, you know, whatever that thing is, you teach them that there's rules, but there's also exceptions because your brand comes first and that customer comes first. So that I think there's this point of going from experience to personal connection that some people miss along the way. And I think it's about putting your customers first. 
Yeah, I love that. And I want to give you two quick examples because the other thing about what you just said is it doesn't have to be expensive. So one of the customer experience, you know, Hall of Fame stories that's gone around for a long time was with a high-end hotel where there was a couple that wanted to dine at the floating restaurant at this resort, but the woman was in a wheelchair and so they couldn't get out to the restaurant. So they complained. And the next morning, they woke up and found that the hotel had actually built a dock so that she could be rolled out to this restaurant, right? Unbelievable, amazing. But I mean, come on, how many companies can do that, right? I talked to uh, an entrepreneur on my, on my old podcast uh, who said that one of his waiters heard a table talking about their parking meter running. And he asked them, what, what car do you have? I'll run out and I'll feed the meter for you so you can just stay here and enjoy your dinner. Okay, that doesn't cost any more. Maybe, maybe it was his coins for the meter. I don't know, but like that little thing, it's not building a dock for somebody. But if you don't think that those people are coming back to that restaurant, you're missing the point, right? Because they just had an amazing experience and a person that decided to over deliver for them, and it's something that was easy and didn't cost hardly anything. Yeah, I think it's about finding those moments where you can make a difference. You don't have to be on all the time. I think it's like in a marriage, for example, like if you're trying to do something every second to over-deliver and make someone happy, you're going to be exhausted at the end of the day and it's just not sustainable. But if you find those moments that you know are important, that stand out as an opportunity to really be there for your partner, whatever it is, those things get noticed and remembered because you're showing that, you know, you, you're like, I'm committed to this. I'm, I'm thinking about you. I'm finding ways to add value. And I think if we start to think about businesses and our relationships therein as people, more so than as a company or as a transaction, suddenly we're in a better place. So I love that story. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. I do want to hear a little bit more about how you, you know, when you started the transition from doing the marketing work and then developing your own ideas and concepts and getting into this place of thought leadership in, in your current business and, and deciding to go out there and write and going out there and speaking. What was that transition like? I mean, did you just jump into it? Were you, you know, were you doing this and a corporate job at the same time? Like that transition into to kind of changing, you know, what you're doing around into to this other thing. Like tell me more about that process and that story. Sure. Well, it started at Discover when I started in this head of digital customer experience role. My boss there was helping me put together a, a personal development plan. And he basically said, I want your plan to be one sentence long. I said, really? Well, what's the sentence? And he said, I want you to become a recognized expert in social media. And I said, okay, A, I just signed up for Twitter. So give me a little time to, you know, to make that happen. And B, what does that even look like to you? What, what, what is a, re a recognized expert? And he said, I want you representing Discover out there on the speaking circuit. I want you writing. I want you to be interviewed on podcasts. Like, I want you to get out there and tell the Discover story. And so, all right, you know, challenge accepted. And that's basically how I started. And for a, a lot of years, I mean, I'd say the last six plus years, I basically made that my what I called my side hustle. You know, I spoke on the side, I wrote, I podcasted, I wrote the book all while I had a professional career, which frankly made me pretty unique out there because a lot of the people that are speaking and consulting have never worked in the in a fortune 300 company and i've worked in three of them right so i've been in the trenches but just recently i i had the opportunity uh, really after a, a job that was uh, had sort of run its course and i think it was clear on both sides that that maybe we should part ways to just take a look and say you know what this is what i love doing i love 
speaking with people. I love consulting and meeting with companies and helping them connect with their customers. Why don't I just do this full time? Because it's the stuff that I really love and I'm passionate about. And so that actually just started at the end of January. And the amazing thing for me, the, when we talk about experience, the experience I've had has been that when you put yourself out there and you tell people, hey, I'm open for business and this is what I do now. It's incredible how many people reach out to you, uh, which was not possible when I had a day job. So that's been really exciting. And I've made great connections and uh, have, have really built up the business, I would say, faster than I expected. But I'm also having a ton of fun, which it's been a long time since I've, I've had that much fun at work. And, and I hope that for everybody because uh, if we got to work all day long, we might as well do something that we love. Well, I appreciate that story because I feel like there's a lot of, of people that, especially if you're a, a marketer and you're in that space and you're, you're looking for those lessons and where, where you might be able to contribute, knowing that you can start to do that on the side is important. I mean, I was a 17-year ad agency person, you know, working in brand strategy. And so taking the plunge last year to, to do something entrepreneurial and invest in myself and personal development and finding perspective, uh, I think is important for everyone. Even like the, you know, your first, second, third year into to working in marketing, like there's never a time that's too early to start finding a perspective and finding an opinion on what you think about things. And it sounds like you actually have people that encourage you to do that, which is amazing. And now it's, it's kind of taken on its own form and its own life, which is, which is awesome for you. I do want to transition into, you know, the show is called Brands on Brands on Brands. I do want to ask a little bit about this idea of branding and a more pointed question. Do you believe that branding or selling is more important for a business long term and why? I think that's a fantastic question. And here's what I'll say with, and, and if, you, if this is too evasive, let me know. I believe that people buy from people that they like. And I also believe that people buy generally from other people. So you know, I get questions all the time from B2B people. In fact, usually when I, get, when I have the Q&A session after a speech, one of the first questions I almost invariably get is, well, I work for a B2B company. Does this all apply to me? And I say, yeah, because your customer is another human being. You're not selling to a, a building. You're selling to another person, right? And who do they want to buy from? Somebody they like, right? And we, and we all do that. So I think it's a relationship business. And so if you focus only on selling, nobody likes the salesperson, right? Nobody likes being sold to. And so I, I guess I would choose branding in the sense that as long as branding includes relationship building, I think when you do that, then it's a whole lot easier to sell what it is you're selling because you have a personal relationship. You can share the benefits of your product or service without the hard sell. Uh, and I, I, I just think that's knowing generally knowing your customer. And there's way too many companies that are so... That spend so much time and individuals, by the way. I mean, just look at your uh, your LinkedIn connection requests, right? These hard sells on LinkedIn. I don't even know you, and you want me to buy your product already? That doesn't sit well with me. So I guess I'll go with branding if I have to. If I have to be specific. No, that's that's perfect. The I, I like that you can redefine. You know, you can redefine it as you want because I actually am curious to hear sometimes how people think of like what part of branding they they take with them. And so that you know, I love the way you explain that. I'd also ask in terms as someone who's building a brand or if as a business that might be building a brand, what is that role of customer experience in building that brand that they're, they're putting out there to people? Well, again, I think it's the, 
the most important thing uh, because so the same guy who had the waiter that uh, that ran out to to fill the uh, the parking meter said to me told me something that I thought was just amazing he said and he owns a number of restaurants he said when people ask me what business I'm in I tell them I'm in the customer service business and I said what do you mean like why don't you say that you're a restaurateur and he said Dan it doesn't matter how good or bad the food is at the end of the day I mean obviously you have to have good food but it doesn't matter if the food is good, great, or outstanding if the service sucks. Because if the service sucks, I don't have any customers. If I have good food and incredible service, I have lots of customers who are very loyal. To, loyal. If I have crappy service and great food, I have no customers at all. And so I, I took that and, and that interview was several years ago, but I've never forgotten that because I think that is true with almost every business. I think customer experience, if you can't create an experience for your customer, which may be just as simple as getting to know them and establishing a relationship. Like we said, it doesn't have to be fireworks and, and you know docks built overnight. It just has to be a personal relationship. I think if you lack that, you're going to have trouble uh, selling anything. I love that. A lot of advertising these days is you know especially for bigger companies uh you know they have to speak to kind of a large group of people at once if they're using some of the channels out there but you know i'd maybe ask this you know with mass communication and advertising there there does end up being you know they say advertisers ruin <laughs> ruin everything uh you know there's mass spamming and interruption is there a better way to connect with customers in communication Again, I, what I would say is, how do you want to be communicated to? As a you know, as a marketer and advertiser, just look at your own Facebook feed or your own inbox or whatever channel it is. How do you like to be communicated to? Because chances are, that's how your customers want to be communicated to as well. And like I said, those pop-up ads, yeah, they might be effective on a spreadsheet in terms of their response rate compared to other things, but you're not incorporating the fact that you're annoying the heck out of a ton of your customers. And you're not accounting for the fact that some of those customers leave because of that, because they want to go to a company that doesn't do that to them. There's a tendency to over-communicate and as you say, to sort of mass communicate. And I think, again, that, that tendency started in social media. When people saw that there were a billion people on Facebook and you could talk to all of them and shout your message to them like it was gold, right? Until they realized that most of those people weren't interested in what they had to say and could shut them off, right? And so I think that mass communication, short of the brands that can afford a Super Bowl ad, I think that that mass is not really in anymore right now. And it's not a great way to spend your money, because, especially with all of the targeting options that a Facebook or a Google offer you to be able to really hone in on who is your potential customer, where do they live, and, and what do they want, and when do they want it. I think that's such a better and more effective method today. Yeah, I was talking to Mark Schaefer at Social Media Marketing World, and he had a story about working with the Coca-Cola team and their CMO. And one of the stories being like, how many messages should you have in a market at one time? And his answer was something along the lines of, and I hope I'm paraphrasing this right, but something along the lines of, well, how many customers do you have? And it was this point of you have to really individualize the message as far as you can, as far as you possibly can. And and probably Share a Coke is, the, is one of the best campaigns ever to do that, right? Is that you it literally put your name on a bottle. And I think that was absolutely brilliant. And again, I come back to even though that seems like a logistical nightmare, 
I think at the end of the day, that probably wasn't terribly expensive, right? It was a couple of different, you know, molds on the printing press or whatever it was, but it's it was such a simple thing that personalized it really as as closely as you can. Yeah, and I, you know, I spent a year working on Coca Cola as a as a media director, and one of their one of the things I thought was fascinating was their their use of packaging and distribution. They're just one of the best in terms of having those tools, and they actually use it as a as an advantage as an asset to make better connections with customers and, you know, like putting people's names on bottles or changing the sizes to smaller portions, whatever the thing might be, you know, throwing polar bears on there for Christmas. You know, they, they have this, this system that they can, they can turn on and turn off to just be better connected with customers, which, which was really impressive to, to see and watch. The next thing I want to ask you, uh, while we still have a little bit of time here, are there any brands that you are obsessed with right now, you personally? The brand I'm probably most obsessed with right now is Chewy. And full disclosure, I'm not even a customer of Chewy yet. But Chewy is the one company... So my podcast is called Experience This. And we highlight positive experiences across all sorts of different industries. And we've, we tell three unique stories in every episode. So we've talked about dozens and dozens and dozens of brands. Chewy is the only brand that we have had on four different occasions, listeners call in and share their stories about how great Chewy was. And whenever I share a piece of content from our podcast onto social media, invariably, I get tons of comments from other people saying, I love Chewy. They're the best. I had a great experience with them, etc. And I think what they're doing really well is first of all, they value every customer. You don't feel like a number. You feel like a valued customer. They know the customer so well that they know their names of their pets. And they use that data. They use it when you email them. They email you back and they say, you know, how's Sadie doing? And I mean, they like, and think about how people are so attached to their pets. And this is something that, that really lands well with people. Uh, the story that we told recently on the podcast that I thought was just amazing. And again, almost no cost, is there was a woman that left a negative review about a product. It's not even Chewy's product. It's just a, it's just a product they sell on their website. So think about you know, leaving a review on some product on Amazon. And she gets an unsolicited email from the Chewy customer service department that says, really sorry that this product didn't work out for you. I've gone ahead and refunded your money. By the way, the customer never asked for a refund. Also, I did some research for you on some alternatives to this product that I think might work better for you. So here's four different alternatives from four different brands that I suggest you check out. And oh, by the way, say hi to... I forget what the pet's name was. And just so you know, we have what we call the furry wall of fame in our office. And if you send me a picture of her, I would love to put your pet up on the wall. I mean, is that like the greatest customer service email ever? And it was completely proactive. This woman, all she wanted to do was warn other people that this particular product didn't work out for her. It was She still loves Chewy, always did. But like that's incredible. And so they just do such a good job. They're very active on social media. They respond to everybody that mentions them. They're doing everything right to be in people's lives in a way that is not mass, that is not interruptive. But it's as sort of a friend or a, or a partner in in raising a pet, and I think that's a, definitely a model I would suggest people try to emulate. Yeah, I call that the the Aunt Katie factor. I have this aunt that she's just you know the most lovable person you've ever met, and it's like if you can receive 
messaging or communication or interaction in a way that like you're talking to Aunt Katie, like you're doing it right. Like I picked a daycare based on like the people that work there. As soon as I showed up, were very welcoming to the children, immediately picked up the kid, was giving them a hug. It was like, oh my gosh, there's a bunch of Aunt Katie's working here. This is the place for me. And I think I think that with marketing, some of that sounds the same. Like there's that 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 innate, like they just really care about you and, and they're obsessed with you as you know, and making you happy, which is which is a beautiful thing and a good way to pick companies. Are there any brands that you trust right now? Wow, I have never been asked that. That's a that's a really, really good question. I will say, I'm going to say that I trust Hyatt right now. And the reason is uh, that Hyatt's doing a really good job with their CRM. Or if, if, you, if you're not familiar, uh, usually it's a customer relationship management software to know their customers' needs and desires, no matter which hotel in the chain you're staying at and no matter where you are in the world. So... For example, um, I asked at one hotel to be put on a lower floor because it's just what I prefer. And now every time I go to a Hyatt hotel, they say, "Would you like that lower floor again, Mr. Dingus?" It doesn't have to be the same hotel. It has to be. You know, it could be any of them. And I love that. I think it is. So it makes me feel like they're looking out for me and that they know what I want. And that you know, the next guy in line, by the way, wants one on the higher floor. In fact, they told me that most people want ones on the higher floor. So maybe that's my, why my request sticks out a little bit. But um, that to me gains trust because they know me and I don't... You know, The number one complaint people have about customer service is having to repeat the same question over and over again. And I don't even have to repeat my request of a low floor, right? Because it's they already know. And likewise, I think they're doing such a great job uh, with messaging on Facebook and Twitter. I can send them a message since they verified me a year ago, you know, on Twitter and asked for my uh, for my Hyatt number. They don't have to do that again, right? So we just pick up the conversation where we left off, and they're taking care of me. So I'd, I'd say that's a brand I'm I'm very happy about right now and have a lot of trust in. Great question, though. I have not actually... I've never had that question and I've never thought about it that way. And so kudos. That's a really cool question. Sometimes it throws people because of the data problem. Like there's companies they like and they're like, but they have my data. So they worry about that a little bit. You know, I had a... I, I was at a fast food place and I won't name companies. And I go there probably once a week, which, you know, probably bad to admit. But uh, I have to ask for ketchup most mornings. And then I noticed the... Honestly, they started asking, like now at the front, like, do you want ketchup with that? Which they didn't for you know months, and then suddenly now it's asked every time, and just that little change. I'm like, I appreciate that, as opposed to other places I've been that have I've gone to the window and they've asked me, "Would you mind reversing and coming back so that we can reset the timer on the window?" <laughs> oh no! Like, please don't do that. That's the worst. So I, I can appreciate when they're you know the little things are noticed, and but especially when the big things you know aren't made as mistakes. You know both those things. I do want to get a little more personal with you as we come towards the end of this. You're getting your name out there and you're, you're doing more to, to promote your ideas. Uh, personal branding is a big topic these days, and, and especially for either just building someone's career and then you know just putting yourself out there and having a reputation, or as people who actually are going out there and known as on their own as entrepreneurs. Uh, how has personal branding played a role in your success, if any? 
Yeah, I think it's played a really big role. And what I would say to people out there is that you can have a personal brand and a professional brand at the same time, and they can be related, but not the same. I think it took me a long time to sort of understand that and to cultivate both of them. But I believe, as I've said, that since people do business with people that they like, establishing a personal brand and mine, hopefully, is about being responsive and relatable and practicing the things that I preach. And, and you know, you tweet at me and I'm going to respond to you. Right, because that's what I advise all companies to do. And so I think it is really, really important because there are so many talking heads out there. There are so many people that claim to be experts and gurus and ninjas and whatever it is. And all three words that I will never use about myself. But uh, I think establishing who you are as a person is, is really, really important because that's what gets people to believe you and to want to consume the content that you're putting out there. I'll maybe dig into that one little step further to say, you know, the people that you're working with or your customers, whatever you want to call them, people that interact with you, if you had to pick one thing that you'd want them to say about you as a, a testimonial or as like, a, this is, you know, the feedback you've gotten, what, what would you want them to say? Well, naturally, I would like them to say that their experience was fantastic with me and that I created an experience when I speak in front of audiences. My goal is to create an experience for that audience, not just to talk to them about experience, but to show them what an experience looks like. So I will often do things like break into song in the middle of a speech or do something that is going to be different so that people say, Hey, remember that guy that sang while he was on stage? And that boy, was that an experience. But also the business side of it, I always try to make sure that I bring a little bit extra to the table. A lot of speakers like to, and because they're busy, they'll fly in, give a speech, fly out. I always make sure that I stay the whole day, that I try to live tweet and, and use my network to, to get messaging out there from the conference. Um, you know, Love doing book signings and other things that are just sort of add-ons. Uh, because again, I think that makes the experience of working with Dan a better experience. And so I'm always looking in the same way that I preach other organizations to do, I'm always looking for ways to up my game there. And that's so I, I hope that if people are talking about me, that that's landing and that people are are realizing that. And, and what's next for you? What's do you have any big audacious goals as you know, you know <laughs> people say out there? Yeah, the BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal. Well, actually, to be honest, I am, uh, I mean, I'm pursuing it right now in trying to build my own business. And, and I've been, as I said, doing this on the side for six plus years. And, and to go out on my own, which is now only, you know, as of this recording, about two months old, is scary and exciting and exhilarating all at the same time. But this, I would say, is probably my biggest audacious goal to date. And you know, the goal is is to never have to work for the man again, frankly, and to keep doing what I love doing. Uh, one last uh, quick little story is I always tell people that I, since I'm not a morning person, I judge my job satisfaction based on the number of times I hit the snooze button in the morning. And all I've ever wanted is a zero snooze button job. <laughs> you know, I just want to get up in the morning and be excited to go to work. And and for the first time in a very long time, that's how I feel right now. So hopefully, that big audacious goal uh, comes to fruition. I love that. I'm sure you'll get there. Uh, it's going to be a good year for you. I, I guarantee it. And one thing I'd wonder is as people are supporting you and they find you and discover you, where, where are they going to find you most active in social media or websites? What's a good place to find you? I would have to say Twitter. It's been my favorite social media channel from the beginning and it still is. I think it's the best place to create real relationships with people that have shared interests. And so uh, Twitter at DGingis, it's D-G-I-N-G-I-S-S. And as I said, I will always be responsive because uh, I practice what I preach. 
And it's not at Dan Gingas because I looked that one up and it says, this is not Dan. <laughs> it is at D Gingas. Yes, exactly. Perfect. Well, thank you. And I hope people go out there and look for you and find your content. I love it. Every time I talk about some other platform or medium or marketing tactic, I always say, this is great. But if you can think about your customer experience first, the Twitter and the Instagram and the rest, can, you can figure out later, but get this part right and you'll be so much better off. So I, I really appreciate you coming on today because I think it's such an important topic for entrepreneurs, for businesses, for, per, for people just coming through corporate and figuring out how to make a difference on, the, on what they're doing. So I appreciate you. Well, I really appreciate you having me on and uh, it's a great show and I'm excited to be a part of it. So thank you. You've just taken your marketing knowledge to another level with this episode of Brands on Brands on Brands. But we have plenty more ways to not just help you build a business, but build a brand. Head over to brandandbrands.com for more resources, as well as access to our blogs, videos, and exclusive coaching sessions with your host. Be sure to visit brandandbrands.com.